Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. He says this about himself. I'm slow to anger. Filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. Now listen. I forgive iniquity. I forgive rebellion. And I forgive sin. Oh, that's a way different character than the world thinks. You see, Adam and Eve are sitting in their sin. And they're waiting for any good news. We've all been there. When you mess up with your spouse and you know it's totally your fault, you feel really badly about it. You want to make up and make it up to them. If you're a Christ follower, it's like a double whammy. You made a mistake with your spouse and with God. What to do now? Pastor Mark has the answer for you. When you listen to his teaching today, you'll learn how God's just waiting for you to turn back to him and admit that you did something wrong. You can do the same with your spouse too. Actions like this will help get your marriage back in line and humming along with happiness just like it should. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, as he continues his series, Enjoying Marriage on the River of Life. Get your Bible, turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So here we are on marriage. It's exciting. Finish this statement. And they lived happily. Really? Well, in the garden, God designed marriage to be exactly that. To live happily. Ever after. Well, we've been learning that because God designed it, there was an enemy of God. His name, Satan. A created being that wanted to be God. And Satan, well, he knew these keys that we've been giving in marriage. Let's look at the first two we gave you. Marriage number one, God's design for marriage is perfect. What was the design? Monogamous, only one spouse. Heterosexual, man and female only. No lesbians, no homosexuality. And permanent. It was to be forever. But then we learned the second one. Marriage, God's directions are clear. So all through the Bible, we began to learn how to do marriage, because we didn't know what we're to do as a husband or as a wife or how we do it as a parent, how we do things together. So God says, if you live by my design 
and you practice and obey my directions, you will have a successful marriage. So Satan's goal was to do one thing. It was to destroy the relationship Adam and Eve had with God. That's his number one thing, to destroy our relationship with God. And by the way, as a bonus, if he can, if we happen to be married, he wants to destroy our marriages any way he can. Well, Satan came into the garden. Eve was deceived, ate the fruit, offered it to Adam. He disobeyed God directly. And so Satan won that first battle. Adam and Eve were separated from God. They hid in shame, in guilt, and in fear. Now, because of that, this raft called marriage, they're not in it anymore. They were thrown out, and we found them here, outside of that enjoyment of marriage on the river of life. They were going nowhere. All because of Satan. Well, as that began to happen, we wrote a third key. And here it is. Write it down today. Marriage, the deceiver is active. By the way, the deceiver is still very active today. How did this happen to Adam and Eve? Well, they didn't, number one, obey God. And number two, they didn't understand Satan's devices, temptation, lying, deceit, and condemnation. So what do we have? For the very first time, we have two imperfect people. That's going to affect marriage. What does it look like in marriage? Pretty soon, I boss, I independent, I selfish. Now, that was bad news from Adam and Eve, but it was bad news for us because those are our parents. So the DNA of I selfish, I boss, I independent was transferred spiritually to every single person. So when I'm born, I have a sin nature in me. I'm in the kingdom of Satan. I want to rule my life. I don't really want anything to do with God. And if I'm married, I want to rule your life. And that's just the way it is. So what happened to marriage? Well, it used to be pretty smooth. But now... Man, there's just waves everywhere. It's rough, man. We don't know what we're doing. And it's hard work forever. Why? Two imperfect people. Someone asked a couple who was celebrating their 50th anniversary the secret of their long marriage. The husband responded, well, here's the secret. We take time to go out to a restaurant two times a week. A little candlelight dinner. Soft music. And a slow walk home. She goes Tuesdays and I go Fridays. (laughs) That's not really how that's supposed to work. We didn't only discover that it was going to be hard work. We discovered that with that initial sin came all kinds of weights. When we sin... It's not just the initial sin. There's lots of other stuff that happened. And that makes rafting very difficult. And you're familiar with all of these. 
So am I. The weighter sin of regret, guilt, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, and hurt. How would they handle it? They're sitting here really with no hope. They have all those weights. They're blaming each other. They don't know what to do. And where would God be? But all of a sudden, there's good news. Look at Genesis. I've asked you to turn there. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Adam and Eve are hiding. And we hear this. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Notice God takes the initiative and he searches for Adam and Eve. He is demonstrating the very thing Satan got Eve to doubt. Remember, Satan said to Eve, God doesn't love you. He'd have never said no. But this is a picture of God's love. We learned this very important principle. Our lives without it would never go forward. Write it down today. When we fail, God lovingly seeks us out. You see, we have to be reminded of the character of God. Many people outside of this building, when they think of God, they think of this. A God that's angry, mad, revengeful. But that's not the God we have. What kind of a God do we have? Well, we have a God that loves us and wants to always restore us. Let me read to you out of Exodus. The Lord God passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. And he says this about himself. I'm slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. Now listen, I forgive iniquity. I forgive rebellion. And I forgive sin. Oh, that's a way different character than the world thinks. You see, Adam and Eve are sitting in their sin. And they're waiting for any good news. We've all been there. Well, God would come, and as you know, there was some, well, there was some consequences to their sin. When we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. But then they heard the same words that I'm dying to hear, that you're dying to hear. Here they are. Failure is not final. Forgiveness is freely available. You can have a new start. And the one I like most, God can take a mess, make a miracle. You see, in our lives, because we're imperfect people, very often we're in a mess. All of our campuses today, lots of messes. Next week, maybe a different group, messes. We need to hear that. Now, that's the character of God. Loving, patient, forgiving. I think because that's that character, and that's the God we serve, and we're in church, we need to clap our hands with excitement for that kind of God. Can we, can we do it right now? Can we do it right now? All our campuses, hallelujah! Hallelujah! Amen! Amen! I mean, what if you walked in this door and God said, you're not welcome here? 
We didn't have to leave. But you're all welcome. Because God's arms are open to us. Doesn't matter the mess. Doesn't matter what's happened. He's a forgiving God. Well, that's what Adam and Eve were longing to hear. How did it come? And look down in verse 15. God made this promise. I will put enmity between you, Satan and the woman, between your offspring, the demons, and a woman that would come from, well, from Eve, eventually down that whole line, would be Jesus. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So that one verse promises the whole world good news. If you've never written in your Bible, you ought to write right there. That's the first good news in the book of Genesis. What did that mean? That Jesus would come to this earth, he'd live a perfect life, he'd lay down his life for our sins by dying on the cross. Satan thought, I gotcha. Three days later, he was resurrected. And that defeated Satan's hold on mankind. Now, that finishes number three. Here's the whole statement, number three. Write it down today. Marriage, the deceiver is active, but already defeated. So we have the power to defeat Satan. We need to know his devices, how he works, but we have the power to come against Satan. Remember, his goal is to separate you from God and to destroy your marriage. So we can know his devices and we have the power to defeat him. Well, what happened to Adam and Eve? They were forgiven and they're allowed to go back into this thing called marriage. And here they go. And as they get here, all of a sudden, there's a newness to their life. Why were they restored? Because God promised never to let us do marriage alone. God was with them. But it gets better in the New Testament. Turn to the book of John, if you will, New Testament. Book of John, chapter 14. When you get there, we discover an amazing principle. One day, Jesus was getting ready to go back to heaven, and uh, he said these words. John, chapter 14, look at verse 16. He says, I, Jesus speaking, I'll ask the Father who'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Now, the world can't recognize him because it's not looking for him. They don't understand spiritual things. They don't recognize him. But he's speaking to Christ followers, his disciples. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The moment a person repents of their sins and believes on Jesus Christ and receives him, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live within him. The Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. So understand what that means. Not only was God with Adam and Eve, but now in the New Testament, we have God actually living inside of us. We've already talked about God designed, and we've talked about God directed. But the third corner is the one you need to understand today. God empowered. God empowered. So the moment that you and I become believers... God not only doesn't want to just be with us, he is, but as we become believers, he actually comes and lives inside of us. So in the garden, it was like this. It was God with them. But in the New Testament, it's God in them. So write this statement down. That's huge for us. 
If you're a Christ follower, this is a great statement for you. God, God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. Think about that fact. The all-knowing, the all-powerful, the nothing is impossible. God lives in you forever. So I am not doing marriage alone. I have God in me. So that brings our last key point of the series. Remember, I told you there was only four. Marriage is simple, but hard. Here's the last one. Write it down today. Marriage, God, the deciding factor, he lives in you. God, the deciding factor, lives in you. Often in our daily routine of life, and I'm speaking to myself as well, we forget, number one, that God even lives within us. You know, when you got up this morning, God was with you. He lives right inside you. But not only that, we forget that the God who lives inside us is the supernatural God. And because of that, we limit what we think he can do by our human. We got like, well, that that can't happen. Well, wait a minute. We've discounted God who lives in us. One of the things I want to encourage you with today is this. That statement that God is a deciding factor, it's not a, a religious statement. Nice statement, Pastor Mark. God lives within us. I like it. It's not a religious statement. This church is about 18 years old, 18 and a half. Before that, I taught for 20-some years. Lots of married stuff. I can say this. I know this about this church. You know how many, over the last years, you have people sitting next to you. You don't know them. But over the last 18 years, many of them, their marriage was a mess. God's restored them. You have miracles all over this place. You don't know who they are. But they're here. But the enemy says to you today, yeah, it's always the other person. God couldn't do that for me. No, that's the enemy lying to you today. See, the deciding factor, if you're a Christian, lives in you. You're not doing this alone. It's not our counseling. It's not our wisdom. It's not our jokes. It's God who lives in you. The nothing is impossible, God. And you're going to say, can he take a mess and make a miracle? Yes, he can. Well, why is God living in me the deciding factor? Why is that the ultimate key? Well, you're close by. John 15, 5. I'm going to read it to you. Jesus speaking, talking about relationship. John 55, he says this. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, in other words, in relationship, he will bear much fruit. Well, apart from me, you can do some things. Pardon me? Well, let me reread it. Apart from me, you can do marriage successfully. It says what? Nothing. Nothing. You mean like zero, nada, nothing? Exactly. So what does that mean? Let me give you the original language. Nothing. (laughs) Why is it the deciding factor? Just exactly that. 
You see, God says, apart from me, apart from a personal relationship with me, apart from obeying my directions and design and commands, you can do nothing. Now you know why our marriages get in trouble, don't you? Because we're trying to do it without him. We forget he's even there. But this is way broader than just marriage. Jeremiah got it right. Look at this verse. Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. See, many of you that are not yet Christians, you think you're your own boss. No, no, you're not. Satan's actually your boss. So he says, a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his own steps. So outside of marriage, the very core essence is this. We cannot successfully do life or marriage without God. Nothing. You can't do it. You're trying. You're empty, lonely, guilty, afraid. You can't do it. You think you're doing it. Religion doesn't do it. It has to be a relationship with God. So I want to challenge you. Some of you at the moment, you're trying to do life without God. You can't do it. You'll never get to heaven. You'll never find purpose and meaning in your life while you're here. And so God just says, without me, spiritually, you can do not, you can't do life. And when he speaks about the home, David says this in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the home, the house, those that labor, the builder that labors in vain. So outside of this room, we have all of these people and they're trying to do marriage without God. You see, the biggest problem you and I have is I'm selfish. That came with the original sin. Then we have I independent. That came from Satan because Satan wanted to be independent from God. God said, have at it. And last, I boss. None of those work in relationship with God. God's the boss. Don't be jealous. He will not give his glory to anybody else. And you can't do life independent. You have to do life dependent. The vine and the branches. That's the way it works. So get over that kind of thing. When we come to marriage, I read an article just a few weeks ago in the Florida Today. True story. Let me read it to you. My cardiologist told me about a patient, an 85-year-old married man who'd been married for 65 years. He seemed remarkably healthy and happy, bubbly with enthusiasm. The doctor asked him, you and your wife seem to be happily devoted to each other after all these years. Tell me, what is the secret to the marriage like yours? That's easy, the old fellow said. I take care of number one, and she takes care of me. Do you like it? That's exactly right. After God, that's what it is. Today, Pastor Mark taught that God had very specific parameters for marriage, which would have ensured that people would be together forever. You learned that due to sin, death entered into mankind's situation. This caused corruption of everything that God had set up in the earth, including men and women's relationships. You learned that God does have a way to fix these problems. You don't have to wait to hear another message from Lessons for Living. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com to access our archive of messages on various topics and books of the Bible. Subscribe to our podcast as well to receive updated teachings as soon as they're made available. 
We're so glad you joined us today and we'd love to connect with you. Feel free to contact us with your questions and prayer requests at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue his teaching, Enjoying Marriage on the River of Life. He'll be talking more about God's desire to redeem your marriage and make it more like he originally intended it to be. You'll hear about the necessary attitudes husbands and wives should have toward each other and how difficult, impossible really, to do without God's regenerating power. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through this series, Enjoying Marriage on the River of Life. It's next time on Lessons for Living. in a hurting world a new hope he is given